0: DiscerningHearts.com presents Inside the Pages, Insights from Today's Most Compelling Authors. I'm your host, Chris McGregor, and I'm delighted to be joined by Robert Royal, who is the president of the Faith and Reason Institute in Washington, D.C., and the editor of the online forum The Catholic Thing. He's the author and editor and translator of more than a dozen books, and he writes and speaks frequently on questions of culture, religion, and public life. His work has appeared in a wide variety of publications in the United States and abroad. With Robert Royal, we go inside the pages of A Deeper Vision, The Catholic Intellectual Tradition in the 20th Century, published by Ignatius Press. Robert, thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure absolutely fantastic book. What I found so fascinating about it is that it explores that Catholic intellectual tradition in a way that's extraordinarily engaging and informative. It's so necessary, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, because one of my main concerns in writing this was to try to provide—not scholars, I mean, scholars working into the the areas that I deal with, like philosophy or theology, scripture, literature but I wanted to provide a kind of an overall arc, so that the you know the average educated Catholic can read this. Uh, there's a narrative to it. I hope that it is uh, there's a certain clarity even when some of the ideas get a little complicated, because we really need, I, I think, as Catholics, particularly in the United States at this point in our history, we really need a kind of a sense of how rich our tradition is. I think we we've uh, mislaid a lot of it. And it's it's a very rich tradition. Catholics are not fundamentalists. An awful lot of Americans who are not Catholic, and maybe even some American Catholics, sort of think of us as, as this kind of narrow, moralistic, ancient uh, church. But in fact, there is a very sophisticated, very subtle, very rich and culturally interesting um, tradition uh, in the modern world of Catholicism and that's what I tried to to convey by the, the way I approached it.
0: The subject matter is a very heart of uh who we are and how we engage in the culture and, and so often we we think, how did we get to this place? But unless we take a look at how we got there, how can we ever change the trajectory?
1: Right. That's I actually quote Aristotle right at the beginning, and he says, you know, sometimes people say, why are you bothering looking what other people said? Well, you, you don't know what the questions are, and you don't know what needs to be done unless you know um, why it is that, that certain ideas developed in a certain direction. One of the things I like to say uh, about the Catholic intellectual tradition is it really does give us uh, a kind of a wisdom that isn't just um, sort of superficial rationality that, that really leads a lot of people astray in the modern world. And what i like to point to is an image, actually, that Pope Francis uses, that image of the the church as a field hospital. Um, As I say in the book, um, one of the things about a hospital is that it must know some medicine. If you don't know medicine, well, you can be like a doctor who has a good bedside manner. You can go to a person's sick bed and hold their hand and comfort them, but you can't cure them. And one of the things that the church uh, has constantly uh, tried to emphasize in its uh, it's seeking to reconcile both faith and reason is that there are some rational things that we can look at and we can bring to a culture like ours which has closed itself off to transcendence and religion and largely to morality as well um, there are reasons why these things are powerful and the the church has such a uh, a wealth that in a way it's difficult to take in. That was one of the, the difficulties I faced in writing this book. It's 615 pages, and it could have been two, three times as long as it is. But I tried to select what I think is the, the are, are the key threads in various areas like philosophy and theology and, and um, culture. And I hope that that really encourages people to go beyond my book, that they, they, they'll take from this a kind of um, orientation toward what the Church has been, but also a way to to even go further, because uh, our our faith is so so, uh, rich that even an entire lifetime isn't enough to take it all in.
0: Again, we're talking with Robert Royal about his book, A Deeper Vision, The Catholic Intellectual Tradition in the 20th Century. And Robert, the reason I love it so much, because it takes that intellectual, theological understanding and you really do break it open by showing us the extraordinary lives and the influences of some incredible individuals from the 20th century.
1: Yeah, I try to situate them too. Although, this, I mean, you know, when you write a book that's, that is this ambitious, you have to focus in on, on certain topics. But what I try to do also is to situate it in the in, in the history of the 20th century because we know that the 20th century had some great glorious the uh, you know the development of modern science and, and, and medicine but it also had some terrible things and, and John Paul too, Saint John Paul II looked back in Gentes in Misanus over the previous hundred years and he said, you know, if you want to look at what went wrong in the twentieth century, it's a mistaken notion of the human person. That the these sort of secular views of the human person um, or what gave rise to things like communism and Nazism, which killed tens of millions of people in the 20th century and repressed many more and sought to stamp out religion and even to stamp out simple humanity. So there's a, um, I mean, there, there, there's, there's, I consider this as a sort of the untold story of the 20th century, that this was a very powerful current. And by the way, up until kind of the secular world and the Catholic world went crazy in the 1960s, Catholic Thinkers like Jacques Maritain and Étienne Gilson and Christopher Dawson were very highly prized in the secular world itself. They taught at places like Harvard and Princeton and the University of Chicago and the University of Virginia, and their books were published and and their their lecture their lecture series were invited lecture series by even secular institutions. So um, we're we're in this strange period in which. Catholics have kind of lost contact with that that richness and something i think really can be recovered. Um and we've also lost our presence in the secular world. A secular world is groping for uh just some solid things to hold on to. That too may be not too far in the future there may be a possibility of returning to that if we Catholics um reacquaint ourselves with this rich tradition and also appropriate it and have a certain confidence. That it can meet some of the the, uh, the challenges that exist in the modern world.
0: Would you say, Robert, it's so imperative because it takes us into the deeper things of life and and of our culture, of art, of beauty, of those things that seem to be ripped apart in today's world.
1: Yeah, I deal with some. Some people have asked me, "Why do you deal with culture? Why do you deal with religion, uh, poetry?" Um, uh, novels, etc. Uh, there's a there's a reason for this. It, it was John Paul II who um, I think most clearly identified early on that culture was becoming a kind of a protagonist in the modern world. That in the past you, you might have you know, politics or political philosophy or economic theories, but but really culture was starting to become something that, that was very powerful. And I, I think that one of the deeper reasons for that is that. When people start to mistrust rational systems, as many people have come to do in the postmodern West, uh, because rationality gave us things like communism and Nazism, when people begin to distrust explanatory paradigms, they tend to rely emotionally, they tend to rely on images. And so the culture, you know, the kinds of movies and the kinds of books and the types of poetry and the kinds of popular music that we listen to, all these things have an, have an even greater effect on us than they might have had in the past because we're we, we're attracted to them because of their beauty or their power. And unless we also recognize that we're, there were some very powerful um, Catholic cultural presences in the 20th century, um, we lose another dimension that, that is very important to us. If you look at literature, even just in English, I try to deal with some other languages as well, but... Um, even just in English, when you look back, we, of course we all remember the great G.K. Chesterton and Hilaire Belloc. Mm-hmm. but if you look at the, the number of people in um, England alone, say, Evelyn Waugh and Graham Greene and, and others lo- like that who just had a profound sense of human sinfulness, of good and evil in the world, of things being worked out and you know, presented in a, in a very accessible narrative kind of fashion, um, this this is a, a treasure that we really have to look back to. The title of my book, A Deep Revision, is actually altered a little bit. The, Ignatius Press thought the the the, uh, the marketing people there thought it was a little too weird what I wanted to do, but the title I really wanted to use was Deep Down Things, and that's a line from uh, Gerard Manley Hopkins' great poem, God's Grandeur, that, that ends, and for all this, in other words, in, in spite of everything that, that human beings do, uh, there lives the dearest freshness, deep down things. So you know the, 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 the spring of grace, the spring of beauty, the, the spring of goodness, um, is still there. it's 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 something we have to look towards, rediscover, and then appropriate.
0: Yeah, it really calls us when you when you use that that particular paradigm, it it calls us to encounter thought in a much richer way. Our culture right now, particularly in the West, everything is so surface and it's so soundbite and it's so quick that we've lost just the pondering nature of what it is to encounter beauty.
1: Yeah, and and I think that this is one thing that Catholics in particular bring to the religious uh, side of America and the world because we really do believe in the value of faith and reason. We believe that. Reason is a God-given uh, power that is part of our souls. And, and so, therefore, that, that power itself also has to be brought to bear in the situations that we find ourselves. I, I, have, uh, I occasionally will teach um, uh, philosophy for theology to Catholic students, and many of them tell me that, that at, at the end, I mean, what I try to do with them is to, to get them to see that, that reason can be used in a way that's helpful to the faith. And it is perfectly legitimate, even in secular terms, the way that, that we try to reason. But many of them will say to me at the end of the course, you know, I was terrified to do this because I'd always thought that philosophy would upset my faith. And I do try to uh, upset them a little bit when I teach mm-hmm. uh, because I want them to think how it is that reason really functions. You don't just quote the Bible. Or you don't just quote the catechism. It's, you know, as, as wonderful as these sources are for us, we have to be able to talk also Uh, in a a more sort of discursive way about what the faith has brought to us. And um, I don't know of any other institution in the world today other than the Catholic Church that's able to keep um, that type of, of deep, living reason i mean a reason that really applies and and it is really wise in the way that it, it begins to look at the the kinds of things that confront us as human beings there's no other tradition in the world that that does this and ours is not only rich it's the it's the longest living cultural tradition that, that exists in
0: the world isn't it true that because it it does go deep it does anchor us so that when things start shaking all around us. And we have, as we live through the 20th century, uh, amongst many, it it allows us to survive because we're not taken off the moors. It, it's when it remains surface, that's when we really get cut adrift, don't we? Yeah.
1: You know, I, I start the, the book, uh, as you know, uh, with an anecdote about Jacques Maritain, who was certainly one of the greatest and probably the most influential Catholic philosopher in the 20th century. Mm -hmm. He and his future wife, uh, Raisa Umansov, who was a a Jewish woman uh, who uh, had come with her family from Russia. They'd fled Russia and they were living in Paris. Jacques Maritain and his future wife um, were both studying science at the the Sorbonne, the University of Paris. And in 1901, they decided that the vision of the world that materialistic science presented was so bleak that if they couldn't find something else to live for, that they, would, they made a mutual suicide pact, they would kill themselves. And surprisingly, this comes back again and again in the 20th century to people who are converts or people who are reverts, that what they find is they need a deeper um, sense of human life, to, to begin with, I mean, to be able to continue to go on living. But also they, they need a, a deeper sense that that human life fits somewhere in, in the larger story of the world. It isn't just some sort of made-up consolation uh, that we have created for ourselves, uh, uh, sort of in isolation from this cold, dark world. So it's amazing that that uh, many converts, and, and the same is true even today. Many converts, though, during the course of the 20th century, Recognize, perhaps even more in a more vivid way than most Catholics do, how life-giving this deeper vision is. That 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 if you're you find yourself unsettled by sort of superficially what's going on in the world, and who doesn't these these days feel that that uh, lack of being settled, that the the answer for that is not to turn away from it or to, to deny it, but it's to to really go deeper and to understand that there is something else. There's something more solid. It never goes away, because it's the, the nature of reality. The true nature of reality, the, the Holy Trinity, the community of persons that we believe is the deepest reality in, in in existence, that never goes away, and it never turns away from us.
0: In the book, A Deeper Vision, The Catholic Intellectual Tradition in the 20th Century, you really highlight for us four persons in particular who were, can we say that really some of the standout theologians of the 20th century, amongst many other giants, but the four, when we're talking about Rahner, von Balthasar, St. John Paul II, and Pope Benedict XVI? It's important for us to know them and to know them well, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, insofar as you can pursue uh, some of those uh, writers, I also think that Henri de Lubac is a very uh, interesting figure. There are a few others as well, but mm-hmm. you you, uh, you really get a sense with them that you're dealing with world-class thinkers who can hold their own with an, anyone. And particularly, I, I would point out in particular, I'm a great lover of John Paul II, but I, I think that perhaps the, the greatest Catholic thinker of the 20th century, and the greatest, maybe the greatest thinker alive right at the moment, is Joseph Ratzinger, mm-hmm. Pope Benedict XVI. Mm-hmm. If you look back at his his life, when he was in his 30s, and he was one of the periti, he was uh, he was sort of an advisor um, to one of the cardinals who attended Vatican II. Even in his 30s, there was a wisdom and a penetration. Uh, in Joseph Ratzinger, that I think is just rare. It, it's it's so rare that this is a personal story. But I was once uh, in a session with my spiritual advisor, and he said, "Okay, you've been working on this book for so long. Who's rising to the top?" And I said, "Oh, there's no question." He said, "Well, who?" I said, "Well, it's it's Ratzinger. There's just nobody even close to him." And he, it's not just that he's a theologian, but he kind of understands human psychology, and he understands. The challenges that that people feel in the modern world, and the kind of uh, the, the the ways that they have to be approached almost indirectly to be able to get to see certain truths that have been obscured in the culture. So mm-hmm. yeah, the four you point out, I mean, I, I think Carl Reiner is a very controversial figure because he became uh, something of a dissenter uh, later in his life. but as in his early life, in his pure thought, he's just a remarkable man. Hans Urs von Balthasar is is a, a kind of an encyclopedic genius, and of course we know that John Paul too was one of the great, um, just one of the great actors on the world stage. Somebody who helped stabilize again Catholicism after the, the chaos that came after the uh, the Second Vatican Council, and who really did just so much more in terms of um, bringing a, a humane vision to the world, and not incidentally ending. Uh, communism in Eastern Europe. I point out in the book that there's a there's an element in human history that that the Church cannot control, and it's the, that element is that there are ups and downs in terms of culture in general. I'm not talking about Catholic culture now. I'm talking about sort of human existence. There are, there are times when human existence is is uh, it, it seems that that. That human culture is richer. You know, you can think about I don't know the Elizabethans and Shakespeare, or you could. I, I I look at the beginning of the 20th century, and I I think that there is a very fertile sort of cultural moment where you have painters like Pablo Picasso and, and composers like Igor Stravinsky and writers like James Joyce and Marcel Proust. There, there isn't at the end of the 20th century, and I think it's also true at the beginning of the 21st century. There aren't, in, in secular culture, uh, figures like that. And I think that the same is true in terms of philosophy and theology. It's because of a kind of odd historical moment we're at where there's a, a great deal of uncertainty. Um, there, there's the, the oddity we have is that we've got the Internet that makes available to us virtually all of previous knowledge and cont- a lot of contemporary knowledge, and yet at the same time, we have this sense that we're not connected to it, that, that it's floating out there and there, there seems to be so much information overload that we don't know exactly where to where to grasp. So I, I think that what you're getting at is you know, that we have to find a, um, kind of the, the contemporary equivalence of these great figures. And by the way, let's remember that, that Joseph Ratzinger is not dead yet.
0: Mm-hmm, <laughs>
1: he still continues to do some things that are quite interesting, and I think we may see some books of his. Uh, once he is dead. There um, I mean, books that he probably doesn't want to publish while he's Pope Emeritus because it might look as if he was commenting on the papacy of Pope Francis or for whatever, whatever uh, other reasons. Mm-hmm. But the, the beginning of wisdom here is to go back. You know, when you lose, one of the things you learn about when you hike is when you lose your way, is the best thing to do is not to just keep walking aimlessly, but to go back and figure out where you went off the right path. Mm-hmm. And when you do that then there's a possibility of, of moving forward in, in a productive way again. So you know, one of the things I hope this book will do is it only comes a little bit into the 21st century, but it gives us a, a place where we can see some threads, some very important bright threads that were good in their day and, and have some things to say to us right now. But but by be, becoming familiar with them, we have also a, a kind of a renewed Possibility of going forward and being creative and and um, uh, responsible in the way that those people were dealing with slightly different problems than our own.
0: I'm so glad you brought up the current situation we have in our ability to be able to access an incredible amount of information in, and via, via the the internet. And for many out there, that that access to the information. Is not necessarily always guided by those who have the type of uh, how do I want to say this a, a scope or a breadth of scholarship that can help us. Now, while it's good that we have access to it, it, it there is a danger, isn't there? In and, and I'm going to I'll use the language. It's almost uh, would-be theologians, those who maybe know how to use the medium, but they're not necessarily. At, at a point where they can really be great communicators of such depth and so we end up maybe getting a populace of, especially in the catholic world of uh, those who are being formed in a an arena that may be lacking a virtue and a, and a number of other important elements to what it is to to express catholic thought am i and am i making sense
1: yeah, I think that that's exactly right. I, you know, there's an old joke that G.K. Chesterton uh, told that um, in many in many respects uh, the modern trouble is not that we're, we're vicious as much as it's the old Christian virtues that separated from one another have you know gone prowling away like like lions, just mm-hmm. running wild. Um, what, I think one of the things that a Catholic in particular, wants to pay attention to is the fact that to be Catholic, which, which means to be universal, we seek to um, acknowledge and value all truth. So you can go on the, the Internet and find some crazy, you know, allegedly Catholic argument mm-hmm. that, that has an element of Catholic truth in it, but it's just one element. It, it isn't embedded in that larger texture of understanding human, God and, and, and man and, and the world that the church alone has been able to produce over 2000 years. I mean we've absorbed Greek philosophy and you know, Roman law and medieval insights and the renaissance you just you just look back there there's a tremendously rich tradition here that that tends to get a balance better and and if anyone's listening to this and wants some advice I mean I would say that when you you see some allegedly Catholic idea, some allegedly modern Catholic idea, think about it for a second in Catholic terms. Is this really reflective of, of balanced truth, or is it what we used to call a heresy? Now, heresy doesn't just simply mean that somebody has different ideas than we do. Heresy means somebody picks out. In Greek, hiring means to pick out. You, you pick out one truth, but you neglect a whole bunch of others. So, you know, if you look at the question, let's take a Typical modern example of freedom. Now we have, we have all been endowed by our Creator with with rights and with freedoms, because God has made us in His own image and likeness. And part of the Catholic understanding of the human soul is that we are we we have free will not not absolute, but we have free will. We have the, an intellect that enables us to, to see the truth and then to try to follow the truth. Well, if you, if, you, if you take that the way I just described it, it has certain balances. You're within the context of what God has created. If you take freedom to mean what many people, particularly here in the United States, mean today, it, it, that no one can tell me what to do and my idea of right and wrong is as good as anybody else's, well, this is to pick out that, that one Catholic truth that human beings are free and to make it into a type of idol that destroys other truths, that we exist in an order and we ourselves are made in a way that God Himself intended to be, um, to be respected and and to be uh, to be um, nourished in in a certain way. So, you know, the, these great modern ideas of freedom and rights and, and um, uh, human dignity, these, these are all portions of the truth. A Catholic comes in and wants to, to wants to contextualize those. Relate them with one another, and relate them ultimately to reality, to God Himself. So, um, we, you know, we we ha- we have a tool in the internet, as we have a tool in democracy, as we have a tool in freedom. We have to make sure that all those things are used in uh, a way that um, a, a really universal vision of God and man and a really universal faith um, uh, keep balanced some of these these various things that isolated can become a problem rather than a tool.
0: Well, I just cannot recommend more highly A Deeper Vision, the Catholic intellectual tradition in the 20th century. Robert, I wish we had more time. Any final thoughts?
1: Well, um, I just want to say that anybody setting out on this path has to recognize this is a lifelong pursuit to, to understand wisdom, to try to mm-hmm. seek to, to understand what God wants and then also to be able to seek to do it. So um, it's not a quick task. You talked earlier about it's not a superficial task. It's a very different task than much else that goes on in the world around us. And understanding that and understanding that it, it's not going to be a, a quick fix or it's not going to be something that that uh, instantaneously solves uh, all problems is is important because it keeps us from becoming discouraged, unsettled, um, uh, to throwing up our hands, and assuming that there, there are, are no solutions. We, we have, uh, I repeat, we have the largest, the, the longest living cultural tradition in the world. If we Catholics can't appreciate the, uh, that, I'm mean, not an objective description. If we Catholics can appreciate and appropriate and, and live out that, that tradition, no one else will. So we have uh, great responsibilities internal to the Church, but also we have great responsibilities towards the world, which is suffering because it doesn't, um, it, 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 it ha- it doesn't have a, a lively appreciation of the truth that only the Church can bring. Mm,
0: well said. Robert Royal, thank you so very much. My pleasure. With Robert Royal, we've gone inside the pages of A Deeper Vision, the Catholic intellectual tradition in the 20th century. To learn more about this book or to obtain a copy, go to Ignatius.com, the website for its publisher, Ignatius Press, or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this discussion along with many others, go to DiscerningHearts.com. This has been a production of DiscerningHearts.com. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Join me next time for Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors.